Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. It's kind of a big day around here at the Family Life Center because today is our 30th anniversary. Uh, the Family Life Center was incorporated on November 2nd, 1992. So we're just going to take a little pause and look back to where we came from and why, and also where we may be going in the future. I had been involved in pro-life politics in Florida for two years, very active, became very successful at it, and the reason why is by God's grace, he steered myself and just a handful of others to utilize Christian radio stations throughout Florida on behalf of the pro-life movement, and as a result, we ended up networking thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians through the state, particularly for political activism. But I came to see at the end of a couple years, and it's not like I'm against political activism at all, but that our, I, I perceived that our culture needed some deeper level of change in order to remove the crisis that we really find ourselves here in the United States and, in fact, most of the modern world. So let me back up how I got to November 2nd, 1992, was not in my life plans. Like, I guess when you get a job, they say, where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? Well, I have to admit, I never saw myself becoming a Catholic. I never uh, saw myself becoming a radio host. Never saw myself doing a lot of these things. But God's a God of great surprises. And I must say, if you're willing to just turn it over to him. Life will not be boring. You know, he's, he's, he's waiting to use us. So in any case, on July 1st, 1990, my entire family was received into the Catholic Church by Bishop Nevins in the Diocese of Venice, Florida. And everybody wants to know, well, you were an evangelical minister. What was the reason you became a Catholic? And I would say, if I just have a second, the reason in general was reading the early church fathers. That had a huge part of it. But the specific reason was Jesus's direct and unmistakable command regarding the indissolubility of marriage. It was over marriage. For instance, Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, and I'm not casting any stones here, but in a lot of Protestant circles that I had been a part of, a lot of excuses were made to avoid this teaching of Jesus, and uh, I went right along with it. So, I mean, I was part of going the wrong direction on marriage until I read the early church fathers. And I discovered that they taught just what Jesus taught 
and said that Jesus meant just what he said when he said this. And it was kind of an earth-shaking realization. So even that, I mean, that's what, a theological insight? No, it was more than that, because the question is asked, why, what in the world would prompt a Protestant minister to walk away from his calling, his career, his salary, supporting a large family, his health insurance, his retirement plan, and many of his friends? Why? Well, for me, once I saw that Jesus meant what he said, having been backed up with a thousand years of early church teaching, I came across this, and it's one of the toughest parts of the entire Old Testament, and I came to see that it applied to me, because as a minister, I have gave some couples really lousy advice. I'll rephrase that, sinful advice, wrong advice, misdirection. But this is what the prophet Malachi says about ministers like me in Malachi chapter 2. And it spun me around. And now, O priests, and I just applied that to ministers, me, this command is for you. If you will not listen You will not lay it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung upon your faces, the dung of your offerings, and I will put you out of my presence. I'm not aware of God speaking like that to his ministers anywhere else in the Bible, and I felt this passage was speaking directly to me, Steve Wood. For the lips of a priest, again a minister, should guard knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. And so I make you despise and abase before all people, inasmuch as you have not kept my ways, but have shown impartiality in your instruction. Now, what in the world could that have been? Why? Well, the Lord was witness to the covenant between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. This applies to the priest in Malachi's day. It applies to the advice that those entrusted with communicating God's will for his people as well. The Lord was witness to the covenant between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and wife by covenant. Has not the one God made and sustain us for the spirit of life? And what does God desire? Godly offspring. So take heed to yourselves, and let none be faithless to the wife of his youth, for I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. Now, it wasn't too long at this point, as a fairly young pastor, that I remember distinctly 
perhaps the greatest education I've ever had, and I had some wonderful opportunities to study theology, but the greatest education I had that affects me to this very day and to the 30 years that I have worked with the Family Life Center was youth ministry. And I discovered that really the key thing, I mean, I could try and help parents uh, with their teenagers and young adults keep on the straight and narrow and such, but it was so critical, I saw, to help parents stay married. That was critical for godly offering. This is what God, God doesn't hate divorce just to hate divorce. He gives the reason. It's the kids. And so because of that, I had been a pastor who wanted to help youth. Basically, I was a grown-up youth minister wanting to be the kind of Protestant pastor that would assist couples in such a way to promote godly offspring. This is what God desires. But I saw through Malachi quite clearly, because I do believe the Bible, and I believe that God was furious with what I had done, and so I resigned my pastorate on July 1st, 1990. I was out the door, and I had nowhere to go, because what does a Protestant minister do who feels as though he couldn't give communion in a setting where there's all kinds of divorces from valid marriages and remarriages and some with my own counsel and stuff. It was chaotic. So in any case, I pulled off the shelf the role of the Christian family in the modern world by St. John Paul II. And just as a side note, his courage and what he wrote in the role of Christian family in the modern world made believing in papal infallibility incredibly easy. I mean, really easy. You can argue what the rock means in Aramaic and all that stuff in Matthew 16, but look at this. Look at the courage of John Paul II. So he says in Familiaris Consortio, section 84, if you want to know what caused this Protestant minister to enter the Catholic Church, it was this section of the role of the Christian family in the modern world by St. John Paul II. He writes, Together with a synod, I earnestly call upon pastors and the whole community of the faithful to help the divorce and with solicitous care to make sure that they do not consider themselves as separated from the church. They should be encouraged to listen to the word of God, to attend the sacrifice of the mass, to persevere in prayer, to contribute to the works of charity. Let the church pray for them and encourage them. However, the church reaffirms her practice, which is based upon sacred scripture, of not admitting to the Eucharistic communion divorced persons who have remarried, that is, remarried after divorce from a valid marriage. They are unable to be admitted thereto from the fact that their state and condition of life objectively contradict that union of love between Christ and the church, which is signified by the Eucharist. Besides this, there is another special pastoral reason. If these people were admitted to the Eucharist, the faithful would be led into error 
and confusion regarding the church's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. Well, with that, I began the road. I started investigating Catholic theology, only about marriage and family life, because I thought, uh, this is incredible. This is the only person I know of in the world at that time who was holding what Jesus said and what the early church fathers said, again, for the first thousand years of the church. And so by a semi-miracle, I was able to attend the first pontifical council of the family's pro-life summit. It was a worldwide pro-life summit and national pro-life leaders were invited to attend I was not a national pro-life leader. I was the lowest guy on the totem pole at that summit. It was November 15, 1991. John Paul II came and spoke, and there he emphasized the importance of the family for changing the world, for transforming culture, and as the spearhead for pro-life efforts. I'm just going to give you a couple of quickies from him. He goes, the history of mankind, the history of salvation, passes by way of the family. If you really want the lever to impact the world, that's his letter to families. The history of mankind, the history of salvation, passes by the way of the family. And then he so goes, as experience teaches, the absence of a father causes psychological and moral imbalance and notable difficulties in family relationships. That's the role of the Christian family. And of course, if divorce hits a Christian family, so often the dad is gone. And finally, he says, the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. St. John Paul II was, without question, the pope of the family. There's a lot of popes who wrote things about the family, but no one did anything quite like what he did. And I have a very strong intuition that this was the Holy Spirit guiding him to put an emphasis where it needs to be made in the modern world. So, um, After that visit to Rome, November 1991, hearing John Paul II's family life strategy, I figured that uh, that was going to be my life strategy, and it has been for the last 30 years. But I came home, and I waited a year because I had been a church planter as a Protestant pastor, and and it's a really exciting thing to do, a lot of Uh, Young pastors want to be a church planter, start a brand new congregation and all that. But it turns out once you actually get involved in it, it's very difficult. And I had done that, and I knew the efforts in starting a church from scratch, so to speak, the difficulties involved in that would be just as difficult, if not more so, starting a nonprofit Catholic apostolate. So I put a shoebox at a Catholic conference out in California, had a little tape basically telling you just what I told you, and I made it the most non-slick, non-glossy thing, just a shoebox and just had donations. I needed $500 to open a nonprofit bank account 
NRC 507. So we launched the Family Life Center. And that was just about a year after the visit with St. John Paul II. So it's been 30 years, been a good 30 years. And now I'm announcing that um, it's time to go fishing. Actually, I really like sailing. That's kind of what I did a whole lot of when I was a younger man. But no, I'm not going to sail off into the sunset because even after 30 years, not hanging up the hat because I don't believe this is the end of the story. Uh, those of you who have been following our our uh, broadcast, Luke 21, which explains biblical prophecy, will remember that in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, it talks about a deep pit, the abyss being opened, and dark spirits being released on the world, and this profound darkness, which stands for spiritual deception, spreads worldwide. Now, uh, Revelation 9 (laughs) doesn't come with a date in the footnotes or the side margins. And however uh, people would view this, my insight, and it's not my insight, it would be the insight of Pope Leo XIII. When he had that vision on October 13, 1884, when he saw a vision of Satan challenging God that if he had a century to attack the church, that he could bring it down. And the Pope, the people around Pope Leo XIII thought he had had a stroke, but he hadn't, he just, but the blood had just drained from his face. He went in privately and composed the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, which I hope you've already prayed today. If not, make a point before the day is up to pray that. Because uh, the abyss has been opened. The smoke, the spiritual deception from the uh, abyss has been let loose in the modern world. Think of our schools, what's going on, our universities, governments, warfare, taking the Industrial Revolution and applying it to warfare, economics, law, the media, internet porn, and what has just happened in our culture over the last two decades. I could make several broadcasts over that, but tracing it back, it's a spiritual darkness, which brings me to something that's uh, truly heartbreaking. The darkness has even sneaked into certain parts of our church. In 2016, an apostolic exhortation was published entitled Amoris Laetitia. And in that apostolic exhortation, which you know had many nice things to say, there was a cleverly placed footnote that reversed the teaching of St. John Paul II. Now, there's a lot of blah, 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 theological hot air spilled like it's just a footnote and uh, so much of it is good, and it was, uh, so much of it was good, but this footnote said that it was permissible to give the Blessed Eucharist 
to those living in an active state of adultery as a result of divorce from a valid marriage and remarriage. This is why I left my pastorate. This is why I resigned. This is why I lost my friends. This is why I became a Catholic. This is what put a foundation of 16 feet of solid concrete under my belief in papal infallibility as a result of what St. John Paul II did. And make no mistake, I have studied this stuff. I have directed the last 30 years of my life over this, and it was reversed in a sneaky little footnote. Right after this thing was released, I got a very kind call from, I'll just call him Father C, who was the theological advisor for the Family Life Center. He has since passed on. Very bright man. I would read the Ignatius Press catalog and, you know, like read the little summary of the new books coming out. And I would talk to Father C, and he had already read all these books. He had headed a seminary. He's a very faithful, uh, just a great priest. But when this came out, he called me right away because he knew that my life, my entrance, my calling in the Catholic Church centered around the lens of marriage. And he knew, he was bright enough to know that this was a direct strike at it. And this was a direct radical break with the Catholic faith. Now, there's a, I won't mention his name because he's already got in trouble, but a respected Catholic moral theologian lost his teaching position when he stated that as a result of Amoris Laetitia, we are now facing a moral and theological atomic bomb. Now you say, well, what would one little exception to Catholic moral theology do? I mean, why would the bomb go off and the whole structure of Catholic morality? Let me try to explain it, and I'm going to paraphrase this moral theologian to try to make it as understandable as possible. Okay. In this sneaky little footnote of Amoris Laetitia, there was a change in a principle. The principle that was changed was the sinfulness of one intrinsically wrong act. Uh, for instance, in Veritatis Splendor, the Splendor of Truth by St. John Paul II, there are certain things like intrinsically evil acts that can never become good acts. And to divorce from a valid marriage and remarriage is one of those things. So, if you change just one of those principles, saying this intrinsically wrong act is okay, because that's what you're saying when you can receive the Eucharist, then you can apply the same wrong principle to any kind of intrinsically wrong acts. And here's my prediction, and hey, I'm infallible. I'll tell you that right up front, but here's my prediction. There will be a move by some church leaders and so-called theologians within the next, say, 48 months 
to regularize church blessings of homosexual unions. And they will even attempt to change the wording of the catechism of the Catholic Church regarding homosexuality. Why is God against homosexuality and adultery? He's wanting to preserve marriage. And why does he want to preserve marriage? For godly offspring. But uh, you'll hear some more blah, blah, blah from the theologians, some of your favorite apostolates, and even moral theologians saying, it won't be a danger to sacramental marriages. It'll just be a blessing ceremony, a liturgical blessing on homosexual unions. And my response is, since I'm on the air, is baloney. Baloney. This is a direct strike at the teaching of Jesus, the historic teaching of the Catholic Church, the teachings of St. John Paul II. Now, we are very happy to have survived 30 years as apostolate, yet it appears our most challenging work lies ahead of us. Sister Lucia said to Cardinal Kafara, who established the pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family, which has been torpedoed, she wrote to him and said, there will come a time when the decisive confrontation between the kingdom of God and Satan will take place over marriage and family. And she also said, those who are going to work for marriage and family, quote, will undergo trials and tribulations. Uh Uh-oh. But, she added, do not fear. Our Lady has already crushed his head. So, to close this 30th anniversary broadcast of Faith and Family, uh, I'd like to close with the quote from St. John Paul II. The future of the world and of the church passes through the family. I believe that. That's what we have been supporting here for the past 30 years at the Family Life Center. And my promise to you is that we will continue to do so. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 413 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.